Right, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Unapologetic Christian Podcast. My name is Joseph. Today, I am joined by Mr. Matthew Reedy. How you been doing today? Been doing good, Joseph. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. I'm definitely excited, ready for the weekend. Got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about science and God, and can science prove God existence? Um, so one thing that you know, obviously, in today's world, is more and more people turn away from God every single day. Um, and used to, you would see it more in colleges, you know, not so much in high school, but now we're even seeing it in elementary schools where teachers are trying to tell children that God does not exist. Um, especially in this, you know, increasingly secular society, many people today face pressures to reject belief in God. Um, like I said, usually it was just in colleges and universities, but now you're seeing it in high schools, middle schools, elementary schools. Um, and all this, and many people who start questioning God eventually deny his existence. They're not prepared for the barrage of arguments from test books or classes taught by atheist and agnostic teachers. Um, so one thing, you know, that I want to talk about today is what can we do to help stop this from happening to young adults and children? And the first thing, obviously, is, you know, educating and equipping people, you know, how to, you know, come back to these arguments and provide answers to, that counters attacks against God. Because um, people, it's going to happen. You know, the in the second episode with Levi, he had made the comment that, you know, whenever I was an atheist and I didn't believe in God or anything, I would take scripture and I would use that scripture against other Christians. I would try to stump them. I would back them into a corner because I knew a lot about the Bible. I didn't believe in any of it, but I knew how to stump people with it. Um, and you know, that's something that you know, I'm not proud of, but it's just, it's truth. That's, you know, that's who I used to be before I allowed God in my life. Um, but you know, there are several different ways that we can go about to help equip people, you know, and that's, you know, by doing this podcast, you know, just talking to people that we come in contact with, you know, listening to biblical teachings, you know, whether it's another podcast, you know, if it's on Facebook, you know, I see a lot of good pe- preachers on Facebook. I see them on YouTube and all these other places. But while I'm talking about that, though, we also need to be very careful of whom we listen to because there are a lot of false prophets out there in the world. Um, there's one that I can name off the top of my head that I'm not going to, I'm not going to name his name. I'm not going to bash him, but he is a very secular, not God driven preacher of the word. I mean, that's the best way I can put it. He preaches a lot of opinions. He preaches a lot of things that go against the will of God. So we have to be very careful. The Bible tells us that, you know, everything that we hear, we need to test the spirits of their, you know, it's okay to listen to other people and their opinions and their interpretations, you know, but we also need to take the word that we hear and take it back to God ourselves. Um, But, you know, that's just one thing that we can do to, you know, help people, you know, like I said, because they're going to come across these people. It's just you see it more and more every single day. Got to say, you know, I, I hear a lot of that. I see a lot of that too, and uh, definitely agree. It, and it, it, it's troubling times, and and it it is troublesome. I'm a father of of three myself, and and I've got two boys in the public school system, um, and I worry on, on things like that. Worry about some of the things they may be exposed to. Worry about some of the, you know some of the teachings. I want them to have a good education, but I also want them to be able to have a good foundation in Christ. Um, and I remember as a kid, you know, learning about these things and, you know, learning some of these contradictions that you hear uh, from what contradicts from the word, or at least what seems to contradict from the word, I should say. Um, it can 
it can cause that doubt. And, you know, and I, it caused me to doubt at a very young age. And, and, you know, and that's, that's hard to wrap your mind around even as an adult. Uh, so, um, being a young adult or being a young child, um, having to wrestle with faith, especially when, you know, they go to school each day, that's their one responsibility and they're being told one thing at school, but then being told one other thing at church, you know, children are impressionable and, um, you know, what impressions are we leaving on them as, as Christians uh, and on our children to, to help them keep that faith even in that time? Okay, so ironically, as scientific discovery has progressed, the evidence of God's existence has actually grown stronger and not weaker. And I know that's something that, you know, might take you, take you a second to wrap your mind around. But here in this moment, we're going to go into a little more detail. So the first thing that I want to talk about, though, um, is the... The big controversial thing that we know about the Big Bang Theory. So in 1965, two U.S. scientists detected the remnants of an initial burst of energy of the creation event typically called the Big Bang. These two individuals won a Nobel Peace Prize. Some months later, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe the article that I read said it was about four to six months later after they won the Nobel Peace Prize. And I want to try to say his name without butchering it, but if I mess it up, don't hold it against me because I don't do very well pronouncing names sometimes. So Arnaud Penzas, I, I don't know if I have a spell. His, it's A-R-N-O-P-E-N-Z-I-A-S. However you want to pronounce it, that's fine. But anyways, after, after they won the Nobel Peace Prize, this is a something that he provided to the New York Times directly. This is a statement that he provided to them. And he says, and, and this is, I quote, this is what he told the New York Times. The best data we have, obviously we're putting in quotations about the Big Bang, are exactly what I would have predicted had I had nothing to go on but the first five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. This scientist gave credit to the Big Bang Theory because of the first five books of the Bible, the Psalms and the Bible as a whole, because the words that were in our Holy Bible that we read today gave him the direction that he needed to go to make this discovery. And that's, that's just amazing to think about when you, when you hear that, because especially when you think when it comes to the Big Bang Theory, all the, the media, all the additional, you know, that's been the launching pad for, for a lot of the creation theory, that, you know, especially that what's being taught, you know, in the world today. You know, think of Carl Sagan, think of Neil deGrasse Tyson. These guys have built their livelihoods and their careers on this theory. And in turn, the person who created this theory credited this back to our God. I just think that's amazing. Absolutely. And I, I do as well. And, you know, that's, that just goes back to what I was saying a minute ago about, you know, how, you know, yes, science has progressed, especially I would say science has definitely progressed in the past hundred years alone. Yeah. But look how many times and we're going to go back and we're going to talk. We're going to talk about some more verses here in a minute. But I just I hate using the word ironically when it comes to God. But it, there's no other fitting word that I can think of other than than ironically, you know, science tries to disprove God all the time. But yet every time they make one of these big discoveries that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, they just give more and more credit to God every single time. Um, and with that being said, that actually leads me to the very first verse that I want to read tonight. Um, and this is going to be Genesis chapter one, verse one. And it's very familiar scripture. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
So let's look at that for just a second. What is it saying here? Well, first off, clearly it says God created heavens and the earth. But I want to take the verse itself and I want to break it down. So it's the very first book in the Bible. So first verse, verse, um, which is when you look at that, what is that? Uni, it means one, verse. So first verse, universe. What do we live in? We live in our universe. What we live in when science refers to our universe, that gives credit to God right there, right there in the very beginning because he created everything in this universe and they're going to give him credit for it. The second one that I want to talk about is verse number two. And it says, and the earth was out, was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon of the waters. Now, going back to what science says again, science says that when this earth was first formed, there was no, there was nothing on this earth. It was just water. Once again, science is giving credit to God saying God was right again because it says here there was nothing there. Science sometime later determined that yes, underwater volcanoes is what they say, you know, is what caused the, the land to be formed. But once again, they're giving credit to God. Third verse of Genesis 1 now says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, when you take a look at the Big Bang Theory itself, and this I'm putting this in, in simple terms, uh, simplest terms I can understand them. The way that theory uh, is discussed, it says pretty much all matter, all matter that ever existed was into a pinprick, into a tiny, tiny ball, something we couldn't even see with our eyes. And all of a sudden, it just started expanding. It expanded at an unbelievable, unbelievable, un, almost a godly rate. I feel like, just based on that theory alone, with God saying, let there be light, the Big Bang that they were theorizing that, my opinion, can't prove this in the Bible, my opinion, I think that was the voice of God saying, let there be light. So, uh, next place that I want to read is Genesis 1, verse 6. Um, and God said, let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Once again, this is something that anybody who has, has a boat or a plane, or anybody who can just go to a beach and go out farther from the water can see for themselves. Salt water, fresh water, they don't mix. Like, you can clearly see a division between the two. Like, there are videos on YouTube and Facebook, TikTok. You know, you can Google the images if you don't believe me. Or if you don't actually believe me, you can look and you can see where these two waters have a distinct line. Like, you can see the difference in colors of these waters because they don't mix. And God clearly said that he divided those waters. Right here. And there's, there's kind of a common theme that does keep coming up after these verses. And, and I'm just going to use verse 8 as the example. So, and God called the, the firmament heaven, uh, and so the evening and the morning were the second day. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God continues talking and continues creating. I forgot I might be getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if we continue on, on to verse number 12. It says, And earth was brought forth grass, herb that yields uh, seed according to its kind, and a tree that yields fruit, whose seed in itself according to its kind. And God saw it was good. So the evening and the morning were on the third day. That's a common theme that you see here throughout Genesis 1, is it takes, it takes note pretty much the work that God done 
on each day, all the way up until the sixth day. I find I find a lot of inspiration in these, um, and and my 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 beliefs. I believe in the one true God. I believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I believe this book is the living truth. But I also believe that I believe with sorry, <laughs> trying to find more words. With coming back to the original, the person who created the, uh, the the theory of the Big Bang, and he did credit it back to God. Something I've always found found fascinating for me. You know, here we read from verse, uh, you know, from chapter one here in Genesis, that God did God did all this in six days, and I've often heard that be used as kind of a rebuttal point from the Christian side of the, side of the fence when it comes to discussing this theory. Was our Bible says it cre- the Lord created heaven and earth in six days. The theory, uh, the Big Bang theory, talks about this being, you know, the universe being something like 14 billion years old. That math doesn't add up. But I pose a question to that, uh, just in theory. What is a day to God? Like, there, God lives outside of our time spectrum. God, you know, he's not, how's the best way I can put this? He's, he's not held to the standard of our time. Like the days, you know, the the first the day number one for God that could have been ten thousand years. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't know for sure. Second Peter verse chapter three and verse eight it says, "But beloved, be not arrogant of this one thing: a day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day." Our God is not subject to our time. We have man made time. God is outside of our timing. He is, you know, he's not subject to that. And I'm sure we're going to get into some more advice that we can give our, our young folks and, and any, or even our adult folks who, who hear these theories or read these theories or being taught these theories. You know, that's something to keep in mind that, you know, yes, our Bible does say it took six days, excuse me, six days. But there again, too, what is a day to God? And that's something we need to remind ourselves of that at that time, 24 hours to us is a day. Could God have done it all in 24 hours? Absolutely. There's no doubt in that. But God did it on his time, and we got to understand as well, God's time works much, much more differently than our time as man does. Okay, so going on, the next verse that I want to come to um, is Genesis chapter 2, and verse 21. And it says, And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Very simple, men have one less rib than women. God took a rib from Adam and made a helpmate. Um, you know, that's anybody who is able to count can clearly see that, you know, we have men have one less rib than women. Um, very simple. Um, and the next thing I want to talk about, I'm, I'm not going to read all of it, but it's, it's Genesis chapter seven through chapter eight. And it's talking about the great flood. Um, and this is something that, you know, I am, you know, I was talking to Matthew about a few minutes ago whenever we weren't recording. Um, I think it's really interesting. So the one of the key points that I want to talk about first, obviously, is that scientists and paleontologists and, you know, all these people, they have found fish fossils on top of mountains that are, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of feet above sea level. That I think is really awesome is they believe they have found Noah's Ark. Um, and that's on Mount Ararat. 
Um, I think I pronounced that correctly. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, this is something that they have been working on for a few years now. They are still working trying to excavate everything, but they believe they have found it. Um, and the way that they found it was by using the Bible to... And they, they went through and they read the story of the flood and they used ge geographical maps to pinpoint where they thought a roundabout area the, the, the ark would be. And they, they're pretty sure they found it. Um, you know, like I said, that's, you know, it's, we can't say for 100% fact that that's exactly Noah's ark, but that's something they're currently working on. So you never know. Science may prove ball once again in this situation. Say, hey, Noah's ark really did exist. How many believers do you think that would make over nine? <laughs> well, you know what? And this is something that I, I want to talk about real quick. And I'm glad you said this because this is something that I've had. I've had something, you know, I've had this going over in my heart quite a bit. And it's a video that I've seen not too long ago. There is a guy that I watch on Facebook. Um, now, he is a very, very biblically smart man. He's. From what the videos that I watch of him, he's he's a good God-fearing man, and he knows a whole lot of theology. I mean, he's very very intelligent dude. Um, he's an, he's an older guy. He was standing there, and I don't know if he was talking the person he was talking to. I don't know if they were atheist or agnostic or whatever they were. I don't know. But this guy straight up looked at them and said, "If I could prove to you today." Without a shadow of a doubt, one hundred percent clarity that God was real, would you serve Him? And the guy looked at him and said, "No." Mm. And you know, and he goes, to show, "He he says that just goes to show it's not that we don't have proof that God is real; we just don't want to believe that God is real." And when he said that, I was like, "Wow! Like that's you know that's that's good word. Like that's that's real deep, you know." If somebody proved you something for a hundred percent and you still say no that you wouldn't believe in it, then that's not a that's not a knowledge, you know, issue. That's a heart issue. That's just a you don't wanna believe at that point, obviously. Um that's good preaching is my preacher would say. Yeah, like I when I heard that, like it gave me cold chills and I was like Wow, like, you know, that, but that just goes to show you what kind of world we live in. Even if we had, you know, undeniable proof People still wouldn't believe. Yeah, no, that's and and, and that's that's a sad thing to say, but it's the truth. Um, but did you have anything you wanted to add about the? Oh yeah, so uh, just 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 an interesting tidbit that that I've noticed with, when it comes to discussing the flood. Uh, you know, uh, the Great Flood as as a lot you know as we refer to it as, but um, it's amazing that uh, you know as Joseph mentioned, um, you know, fish skeletons being found on mountaintops, hundreds if not thousands of feet above sea level. Um, but interesting little tidbit, you know, uh, our belief system, you know, our religion, we're not the only religion that believes that there was a great flood. Uh, Native American culture re references a great flood. Uh, Hinduism references a great flood as well, and it can also be found in parts of Greek mythology as well. Absolutely. So the next verse that I want to go on to um, is going to be Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. Um, and this is something that... I did not know until I until I started doing this study for the podcast, to be completely honest with you. Um, so in Leviticus 17 and verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to, given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. So here in this time... You know, God is telling him, is telling him, you know, there are life-giving qualities 
in human blood. Um, and you know, this is the the third book in the Bible, Leviticus, you know, still early time, you know, in the day of man. Um, and something that I found out whenever I was doing this study was that a scientist named William Harvey in 1620 discovered the circulation system in our bodies yeah. and how the blood is what gives us, you know, the, the, the living qualities. Because if we didn't have circulation, you know, if we didn't have circulation in our finger, we'd lose a finger. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with an arm, leg, whatever. You know, there's life-giving qualities. Look at, you know, you know God forbid when a, a major disaster happens, what do we do? We go give blood to help other people who in need that need it. Absolutely. You know, and there's 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 a lot of life-giving qualities in it, but you know, once again science, you know, in 1620, you know, that just it just shows you that, you know, once again science proves God's existence because 1620 was after my Bible was wrote. I used the King James 11 1611. So, 9 years after my Bible was wrote, he finds out about the circulatory system. I just I thought that was really cool. That's amazing. I I, I know prior to prior to that discovery, a lot of times a lot, a lot of the belief was your blood was stored in certain portions of your body. That's mm-hmm. why leaching and bloodletting was used to be a common medical practice. But um but there it is, uh, there in Leviticus telling you, you know, yeah, it's like you said, if, if you lose circulation, you lose that limb. And, you know, here we are, we've got this discovery made back then. The next verse that I want to talk to you about is in Job chapter 26 and verse 7. Um, and it talks about our earth and how our earth stays in orbit. Um, and in verse 7 in Job chapter 26, he says, He stretches out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So here in Job, it says that God tells us that the earth is hanging on nothing. Now, there are a whole list of uh, theories that scientists have had over the past, I'll say, I think the furthest one I read back was like 1,500 years. So uh, some scientists believed that our earth was sitting on the back of a turtle, some scientists believe that there were hands in space just reaching out out of the out of the abyss. And this is exactly what they put it. Hands reaching out of the abyss to hold our earth in place. Um, there are scientific studies that said that our earth was held in place by large ropes or chains that held our earth in place from just you know flying throughout the orbit. Um, and there was even one that said that they believed that our earth was being held up on the back of a man. And these are all like realistic, like you can you can look for these yourself because I whenever I started reading the I started looking at the theories of science regarding the earth being held in space. And these are the ones that just like stood out to me like really like they really thought this like come on now there ain't there ain't no way they actually thought this. But these are every single one of these that I just read to you. They're they're legitimate, you know, theories at one point in time that science had. You know, now obviously now that we NASA has sent people to space, you know, we can clearly see that once again they have proven God because nothing holds Earth in place. It's just hung upon nothing. 
You know, yes, there's you can argue gravity, but, you know, we can't see gravity. So how do we know it really exists? And that's another point that I want to point out. People believe in gravity and things they can't see. But why can't they believe in God? Exactly. Now, you've got this, you've got this force that pulls you down, that, yeah. that, that holds you to this earth, and you can't see it. And even, you know, yes, I know there's scientists out there who have, uh, you know, who, who have who made calculations about the effects of the sun and gravity and all that in space. But but even then, you've got that hard evidence, and they can believe that. And yet, again, they can't see it. And that's that's where faith comes in. Absolutely. So something to add to, um, you know, in 1543, Nicholas Copernicus, you know, he was the one that discovered, or at least theorized and later discovered, that the earth revolved around the sun. During that time, he was accused of blasphemy because of that. Because the common belief was, at that time, was the earth was the center of the universe. He was in prison for this. What I want to go to is Psalms chapter 8 and verse 8. Um, now this is actually one of the, the first verses that I actually um, went to a little more depth on. Um, and this is something... That actually I studied long before this idea of the podcast ever came into place. Um, because the what I'm getting ready to read, it intrigued me to want to understand a little deeper what it was trying to say. But in Psalms 8 and verse 8, it says, The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passes through the pass of the seas. So, like I said, that last part of that verse, you know, it intrigued me a little bit. And it also intrigued somebody else. So Matthew Murray discovered in between the years of 1844 and 1861, uh, he is the one who is credited to discovering ocean currents. And if you go and read some of the, the, the dialogues that he wrote and the journals that he kept, this scripture, Psalms 8 and 8, is what actually intrigued him to go out to discover this. Uh. Because he was going through it, he was reading his Bible, and he came across this verse, and when it said, Pass of the Seas, he didn't understand what that mean. Man, now, you know, just like my Bible that I have here before me, the one that I read out of and I preach out of, you know, it's, it's a study Bible, and it's got all these, you know, pretty little notes and pictures and all this stuff here, but... You know, years ago, they just had the word. They didn't have all these, you know, theologies and, you know, all these other ideals, you know, and other people's, you know, interpretation of the word. They just had the word of God. If they were even lucky enough to have their own copy of the word of God. And, you know, they just, they would study it for themselves. But like I said, it intrigued him so much that he went went to the ocean and he started studying and trying to understand what it meant by the pass of the seas. And he was credited for discovering ocean currents. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I thought that I thought it was really cool as well. I, I didn't I never knew that. So uh another place that I want to go to is Jonah chapter two and verse six. It says I went down to the bottoms of the mountain, and the earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, oh Lord, my God. So just to give you a little bit of backstory so you can understand what it's talking about here is God had told had talked to Jonah and told him that he needed to go to preach to people of Nevia. And I I may not pronounce that right, but I try. Um 
like I said, you know, sometimes I just can't pronounce words. I've, I've heard it pronounced Nineveh. Nineveh, that's it. I can't say I can never pronounce that right, <laughs> and I, I try so hard so many times, but I can never get it right. So God told Jonah to go preach to people in Nineveh. And Jonah decided that he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to go speak to these to these Gentile people. He didn't want to bring the word to these Gentile people like God told him to do. So God, so Jonah ran or Jonah ran from God. Um, took off, went and jumped in this boat. You know, he he stowed himself away, and this big storm comes up, and you know Jonah eventually is you know he's cast overboard because they don't want the wrath of God on these other fishermen on the boat or whatever. So anyways, Jonah is cast overboard and he is swallowed up by a great fish. Now, later on in the Bible, we come to find out that great fish, you know, basically was a whale. It was a big fish that God prepared for this exact, you know, exact circumstance. But it says here that in verse six, it's just Jonah saying that I went down to the bottoms of the mountains so Jonah's obviously in an ocean. He is inside this big old fish. Um, and it says that he goes to the very bottom of the mountains. Okay, well, he's in an ocean. So, you know, this led another scientist to look into some information. So I don't have the year for it. I forgot to write it down, and that's my fault. But Marie Tharp mapped the ocean floors and discovered that there are mountains taller in our oceans that are actually than above the ones in our land. The tallest mountain in the world is nowhere near as tall as the Marianic Trench. That's a proven fact. Yes. The, the ocean is much deeper than the tallest mountain we have, but there are mountains that are thousands of feet tall still buried beneath our ocean. Wow. They're, they're still on our ocean floor. So how could Jonah know that he went to the bottom of a mountain while he's in the ocean you know, how how could he know that? Because they didn't have scuba gear back then. Nope. They had no way of, you know, going and looking to see, you know, mapping these ocean floors. This is all, you know, technology that's come in place, you know, within that past hundred years. Now, I'll say roughly a hundred years. Um, but yeah, so that, that actually led, like I said, Marie Tharp. She's the one that is credited for mapping the ocean floors and discovering underwater mountains. Okay, so with all that being said, you know, just uh, to try to wrap things up and get our final thoughts, uh, Matthew, I know you said you had something you wanted to read. Yeah, so so uh, my final thoughts on this, and, and this this goes to, you know, this this is going out to the listener who, you know, whether you're in school, you know, whether it be college, or whether it be elementary school, middle school, high school, whatever, or maybe you're out of school and you're, you've struggled with this. You've had these things talk to you through school, or maybe you freely researched them and, you, and it's caused maybe you to wonder maybe caused you to doubt maybe caused you to try to figure, you know you know try to have a hard time with your faith i've got a verse here out of ephesians 3 uh verse number nine um and i do recommend uh, starting in ephesians 8 discusses the purpose of mystery but ephesians 3 9 states and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, guys, what I feel like that is saying is, and what I'm going to say to you guys is, cling to your faith. You know, It's okay for us to be curious. It's okay for us to wonder how we got here. I don't think there's any harm in that. There's a whole book written about it in the Bible about how we got here. Um, and I'm also going to say this too. 
I do feel that science and science and Christianity can coexist. I do believe that there are good things that do come from science. One thing that I was sitting here researching while we were while we were recording this was uh, you know think about smallpox. Smallpox was a horrific disease that killed more than three hundred million people since nineteen hundred, and in nineteen seventy seven. Well, excuse me. It was officially eradicated by, or it was eradicated in 1977, due to vaccines that were created by scientists. I do believe that vaccine was a gift from God, and I believe that the scientists came up with it. They were being guided by the hand of God, as well. I do believe when God, going back to our person who uh, discovered the uh, the Big Bang theory, and then. Immediately, how long ago did it afterwards? What did you say it was two months ago? It was somewhere between three and six months. I can't remember exactly what the, the article said that I read. That he accredited our our holy book, our holy Bible with that. I do believe God put that on his heart. I believe God put that on his heart to help him come up with that theory. Because I don't think God I don't think God would be angry with us for wanting to know why we get here or how we got here. Some of this we're just gonna have to wait until the by and by to ask him about. And some of it we're just gonna have to theorize on. But the biggest thing I'm just going to tell you, young believers, is cling to your faith. Your God is much bigger than the things and the doubt that you're hearing and being taught. Absolutely. And the my final thought on this is, you know, like whenever we first started the podcast this evening, talking about, you know, how people, you know, young adults, down to, you know, small grade school children now are being taught, you know, all these these lies saying, you know, God doesn't exist, you know, and... You know, there's there's so many things that are being taught nowadays that where, you know, I'm I'm only 32 years old, but the things that they're being taught now, if they would have tried teaching that to my generation, my parents' generation would have had an uproar over it. Yes, like they would have come completely unglued about it. Um, but as someone who has been on the other side of the spectrum someone who believed in science over faith, someone who believed in science over God. You know, they didn't, I didn't believe in anything at one point in time. And I used to take scripture and I would twist it and manipulate it to back Christians to a corner to make them feel stupid. Um, I, like I said, I'm not proud of doing that, but that is something that I, you know, I was guilty of in my earlier life before God got a hold of me. But what I want to tell you tonight though is if you do get stuck in this one of those situations and every time you try to give scripture to someone and this person counter argues with you, you know, and they're just, you know, being flat out rude and disgusting with you, it's okay to walk away from that conversation. You know, the Bible tells us that we that we should, you know, this is me paraphrasing, but we you know we we don't we don't have to answer fools. And if people are going to continually bash your faith and bash, you know, Jesus, um, you, you don't have to put up with that. You can just say, you know what, I wash my hands clean of this. I dust, I kick off the dust of my feet and I, I'm done with this conversation. Um, and it, it's okay to do that. You know, the Bible does tell us that we need to be ready in season and out of season. We need to be ready to give an answer. You know, we need to be able to be able and ready to give, you know, hope to people to explain to them Jesus is our hope. And, you know, we're we're all called to do that. Um, and that's why I felt such a need to do this episode of the podcast to let you know that there are other like-minded believers out there. Um, if you would like to have a conversation with us, you feel free to do so. Um, you know, we have podcasts on 
you know, Spotify, Apple, Google. We have a Facebook group. I mean, I'll, I'll put all the links in the show notes. That way you can reach out to us at any time if you want to. If you want to have that conversation, if you have questions you don't know the answers to, and, you know, I'd be more than glad to look these up, and I'll do my best to get back to you and provide you with, you know, information. If you just need someone to talk to, to you know, vent, because you're going through a situation where people are bashing your faith and you don't know how to deal with it, I'm here to listen. Um, and, you know, we, we can't... We we have to be here to help every single one, you know, not because we have to, but because we want to. You know, I, I truly, you know, care about every single person who will listen to this, who will listen to this in the future, whenever. You know, I love every single one of y'all. Uh, so if you if you like to have if you would like to continue this conversation, just reach out and let us know. Um, we'd be more glad to talk to you, pray with you, whatever whatever you need. We're we're always here. All right, so as always, I'd like to end this episode with a fun fact. Um, And today's fun fact is something that I did not know until I looked up um, yesterday. Um, Is that Canada is actually south of Detroit. I did not know that. Um, Look it up on a map. I'm actually going to pull it up and look it on a map right now. Because, you know, I, I seen this yesterday, but I just... The look that Matthew just had, I just I want to show... You've got to show me this now. I'm trying to think of so I'm trying to think of Michigan. I'm trying to picture Michigan mentally. So Windsor, Ontario, Canada is actually south of Detroit. So I guess in Detroit they can say <laughs> go on down to Canada. Exactly. They can say go on down to Canada in Detroit. <laughs> um but yeah, that that's the fun fact for today that Canada is south of Detroit. So yeah, that one's a new one. But as always, I appreciate every single one of you that listen to this podcast. Um, if you need us, please reach out to us. We're more glad to talk to you, pray with you, give you advice, whatever it is you need. But until next time, have a good night. Stay safe, stay blessed, and thank you for listening.